First Peter chapter 2. As we uh, continue in our study, God and government, and then really getting into that passage in First Peter chapter 2, this prompted us to look a little bit into uh, this topic and this understanding of what does the Bible say and what has God said about government. Um, so we want to dive in a little bit definitely into the passage tonight and get through that, that first section here on uh, God and government in the passage of Second Peter or First Peter chapter 2. Uh, Zach and I had an interesting opportunity this week to go to uh, what's called a historical miniatures gaming convention. Um, and it's, it's an opportunity. What it is is, uh, I know some of you right now are probably thinking nerd. That's okay. Um, the actual technical term is geek. Okay, I can handle that, and I'm okay with that. Uh, but what they do is they, they recreate historical situations with little figures, and you, you, know, you, you play a board game, so to speak, with other individuals. And it was a really neat opportunity. We enjoyed the opportunity to interact, especially on Veterans Day, with numbers of veterans who were there and recounting and telling you know, about some of the things that they went through in battles and different things like that. I appreciated the opportunity to talk with two different individuals on those days, and it was, it was really neat. But I really enjoyed just the opportunity for Zach to... Uh, rub shoulders and learn a little bit more about history and some of the different things that have happened through the years. And uh, when, when you play the different games, we, I mean, he got to play as a samurai. He got to play as a World War II vet. He got to play in a, an old English knights game. He just got to, to have those opportunities. But in every single situation, no matter what game, no matter what era, no matter what it was, there was always the opportunity that, or there was always one thing that was in common in every single one of those scenarios. And that was that there was a game master. And the game master would lay out the rules for the game. They, he would explain how this was going to take place, how you were going to, to roll, what you were going to do, and he, he laid it all out. And it was, it was always interesting as you would watch every single game played of the hundreds and hundreds of games that got played, there was always the game master. He knew the rules. He understood. He sometimes wrote the rules and they would, they would establish that. And then there would be people, they would ask the game master, they would say, well, what should we be doing in these situations? Or what do you expect us to do? Or what do you want us to do? Because the people who were playing understood that the game master was the one who was laying out the agenda. The game master was the one who was dictating to a degree and saying, this is what is going to be done. And every once in a while, you would get those, those guys who would be like, well, I know better than the game master. That's not the way it would have been done back in the day when I was, you know, and they're going to they're gonna argue a little bit. And when it came down to pushing against the game master, you basically have one of two op options. Either you submit to his rules or see ya, have a good, you know, you're not going to play the game. Because that's, it's one of those two things. And when it, comes to, when it comes to life, and when it comes to especially to government, God has established the rules. God has said, this is what government is. This is the purpose of government. And we've went through over two different lessons, two different times. If you haven't been with us on those, I'd encourage you to go back and watch and help, help lay some of that foundation. God has laid out what government is to be like, what the purpose of, he established, he ordained government. And we've talked about as Christians living in America, we have a responsibility to interpret the Bible through our biblical lens first. Okay, then we apply our American lens, we apply the situations that we face in our lives. And so many have always been responsible to, or man, excuse me, has always been responsible to obey God's authority. And as we, we go through, we talked about that, that mankind, because of our sin nature, we've fallen. And because of 
There is the uh, dynamic. I'm going to stay out of here. Michaela, if you can get another mic ready for me, hand it to Pastor, because this one is going in and out again. Um, God has ordained all human government. So we've talked through this a number of times. So much so that man has a much needed restraint, and that's, that's, that's government. That's what God did. And God, God established that through, through uh, human government. And as life continued, as we went through, the authority granted to these authorities we talked about has come from God. So all of our civil government across any nation, across anywhere in the world, that authority that they have to rule has been granted by God, the only true, true sovereign. And as sovereign, he has established the purposes that are intended for government, that we to punish evildoers, that the government is to praise the good, the good doers. They are to promote and maintain peace, that the government is supposed to exercise impartial justice. And so we've talked about those, those dynamics. And the second time we talked, we talked about even the kingdoms uh, ruled by God, Israel ruled by God and ruled by his rules, still fell short because of sin. We cannot expect a perfect government until we are living in the kingdom with God as the ruler. Human government will never be perfect here on earth until God is established on the throne. In fact, God never intended for every nation to be directly ruled by him or by his rules. That was not what he has established. And so we talked that the church, the kingdom, they're all different entities and government included. They're not to be one and the same. They never were intended by God to be one and the same. Thus, government is distinct from God. So when we're living in a nation where government clashes with God's principles, how do we handle that? How do we go? And we talked last time, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that we are to be a good citizen. Even if we think government is bad, we are to be a good citizen. And it is possible to honor both God and government in our life. It's acceptable then that there is some separation of church and state. God, Jesus Christ himself is the one who establishes and he says that there is a difference between the church and the state. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, to God the things that are God's. And so there is, there is that difference. And government, because of that, is limited by God. Jesus Christ himself said there are some things that are going to go to God, thank you, and there will be some things that will go to Caesar in that. And because of all of that, we owe our allegiance to, to God himself because ultimately he is the final authority. He is the one that we establish, that we follow after, and we, we go after. So submitting to God is not incompatible with obeying and following God. All right, Michaela, we're going to switch there. We good? We'll see. You got me? All right. Let's see if we can do this here and get untangled. All right. There we go. We'll put that away. I thought it was going to get a smooth transition there, but it did not happen. All right, you're there. That works there. Okay, let's continue on. So Peter, with all, the, all that in, in mind, and I know I just plowed through a whole bunch of statements, but most of you have been here with us over those last two, two lessons as we went through those. And if you haven't, again, they're online. You can go back through and you can check those out. Peter then reminds us, if you remember in verses 11 and 12, he gives us what, what we called his pivotal point. He's saying, here is what I want you to remember, that as strangers, as pilgrims who are living in this land, we are a kingdom within a kingdom. We are a people within an ultimate, ultimate people, a nation. He says, abstain, so live, live holy, 
Let your lifestyle be so that when the, the Gentiles, those who are not saved, see your good works, they're going to glorify God in that day of visitation, that people will see a radical difference within us. And so Peter says, everything that's going to come after this, for this next section here, I want you to see it through those lenses, those, those, that idea, that filter that says, what we do is to be radically different. How we live is to have an impact. It is to be holy, and it is to be such that when people look and people see us, they are, they are noticing a difference. They are noticing something, and then as you get to, we get to chapter 3, we'll see in verses 15, 16, 17, that, that prompts them to ask questions about the hope that is within us. So let's go into this passage. Let's look at what, what it says. With all of that background that Peter would have been coming to the text with, understanding what God has been doing and how God has worked, let's go to the text now with it. So Peter says right away, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Submission highlights, he just lays it out, submission. It highlights that there is a hierarchy of authority, that there is somebody who is above a superior, there is somebody who is a subordinate, and that subordinate has a responsibility in this relationship. So there, there's a hierarchy that, that God has established with government, that government is above Okay, I understand that we are a government of the people, by the people, for the people, and yet at the same time, when there is a hierarchy, we still have a responsibility to submit to the government. So this call to submission, it seems for us as Americans, it's very unsettling. And I, I would say even for any, any person in, in the world, because by nature, I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to have to place myself under anyone. I am, by nature, a very selfish individual. So it seems unsettling, startling, so surprising that we are tempted to look at this passage and try and explain it away. To look and say, well, you know, I really, what I think Peter really means, probably not submission as in, you know, we're going to submit to government. Let's figure out a different way. Well, the government structure was different then than it is now, so therefore it really doesn't apply to us. Or people will look and say, well, what, Peter, what we think Peter says rather than simply what he says is, and we'll find ourselves trying to, to manipulate around the passage because we don't like to hear the command given to us to say, submit to government. And we're like, yeah, okay. But we have to look, what, what does this simple laying out of scripture, what does it say? Peter says, submit yourselves. So he lays it out. He simply calls us to submit, which is extremely countercultural. It's not just Christians who struggle with submitting to government. It's every person in our nation. Every time something changes in politics, what happens? The other side doesn't like it, so we, don't, we want civil unrest. We want a mob. We want a, we want a riot. We want to have huge rallies that are going to, we want to storm a capital. We want to do all these different things. So it's not, it's not just us who has, a, who has a difficulty placing ourselves under. It's a human problem. It's a human struggle. So God is looking and saying, as believers, we need to do something that's a little bit countercultural, a little bit radical, that is going to cause opportunities to share the gospel, to be a, a light, to submit ourselves. Now, what does that word submission, what does it mean? We're going to do a little bit of a, a word study here, and I, I hope that it helps. It's really helped me personally and wrestling through some of these. And I, and I hope, again, my, my goal and my prayer never would be, like just because I throw Greek words up here, 
it is not, please understand my heart, it is not to say, ooh, look at me, I can read Greek. Who cares? What I do care is that we understand what, we, we believe, we hold to this idea of what is called the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, that God has specifically used, and the authors of the Scriptures specifically use words for specific reasons. So we want to understand what these words, what they mean, how we understand them. And so I want to take you through and just talk through some of the words that are used in this, this context of submission or relationship to government. So the word that's used here is hupotasso. It's the normal great Greek word. It's used 38 times in the New Testament. Peter uses it six times over the next chapter and a half. It literally means to place yourself under an individual or an entity. You're going to see that, that hoopa come up a couple times here where it's that idea of to, to go under. So we are to place ourselves under. That is the idea of submission, that there is a hierarchy. Somebody who is here and I'm going to place myself in the proper, proper position. I'm not going to try and usurp their authority. I'm going to put myself in that position. So when we look through text, text of scripture, there's a whole bunch of places this word is used. It talks about the, that we are to be submitting to God, that the demons submit to God, that the spirits submit to God. There is, as Christians, we are to submit, we are to place ourselves under one another, to look and say, I need to prefer you more than me. It's not just about me, but I'm going to place myself under you to, to help you out. I'm going to submit in the family that we have places where the, the wife submits to the husband. God talks about about that. Paul talks about it. Peter talks about it. Interestingly, in Luke 2.52, do you remember what that passage is? It's Jesus as a boy. And it says that he who potassos himself to his parents, he submits himself. He places himself understanding the hierarchy, the, the authority structure, even in the home. Jesus, as an example, places himself under. We have the situations with the master or the employer that we are supposed to put ourselves under. And then we know the passages. Romans 13, we've looked at that. And First Peter here, we are to hupotasso, to place ourselves under as believers under the government. We are called to submit to the government. So the question comes up then, does submission equal obedience? That's the hard question, isn't it? Is it, is it one for one? Does submission always equal obedience and the obedience always equal submission? So let's look, at, let's look at those words. Let's understand. It's really, there's a lot of synonymous words here. And I, and I like to use the idea of a rubber band ball. With a rubber band ball, think about the idea of submission, obedience. They're all sort of synonymous. It's, it's all right here. This is what we're to be doing to, the human gov- or to, to our government. And yet, each little entity has its own little elasticity, okay? There's the hupatasso, the submit. There's going to be a word for obey. There's going to be a word for yield. There's going to be a word for an- another word for obey. There's going to be all these words that are all together. They make up this concept of what I am to do to the government, how I am to respond, how I am to have that relationship. And they're all in that word of obey, submit, and a lot of times, it's, it's all right here. But there are times with words, words have elasticity and understanding and context, that as you look at words, sometimes a word that might mean obey 
might have a little bit different meaning in its context or a little bit of a different understanding. So as we go through these words, understand we're looking at the same general concept, but some of the words, they stretch a little bit. Now, we all know that if you stretch this too far, what happens? You know, and that's what happens sometimes is we'll find one thing, we're going to run with it, and that's not what's intended by the Scripture. The general concept of submission and obedience, you, it's, it, they're, they're generally right all together. But there are opportunities and moments where there's, I don't want to use the term wiggle room, but that idea that there's some elasticity in our understanding. So let's, let's look at these words, understanding. We're looking at this general concept, but the scriptures use some different words to help us understand how we're to be relating. So the, the word that often we think of for obey is hupakuo. Again, you hear that hupa, so you know it's going to be under. It's to hear under, literally, or to have compliance in response to somebody speaking. This is the word that's used with parents. It's, it has the idea of, and children, it, the conduct is to, to take the command and conform to it absolutely. It is the parent says you do it, kid, you do it. That's it. God says this is the only way, then that's what you have to obey. And he, he lays it out, and that's the word. It's often used in, obe- it's used in obedience pretty much predominantly with the gospel. For someone to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel, they have to hupakua. There's not options here. They're not like, well, maybe if they want to be saved, they need to obey what the gospel is. There's obedience to parents, obedience in our spiritual life, that whoever we obey, whether it's slave to sin or to our righteousness, whichever one we obey and follow, absolutely, that is, who, that is where we grow in, in our uh, spiritual walk or in our carnal walk. It's the obedience of servants to their masters. What's interesting is this verb is never used in the New Testament in relationship to government. It's never used in relationship to governments where there's an idea of the command that is given absolutely from the government that we must absolutely obey. The, the word is never used there. What's interesting though is that verb is also not only never used of government but also not used in relationship to the church. But it, it does make sense what we talk about here in a second, that we should never, and I would never expect you to, come here every Sunday and everything the pastor or myself says, you know, that you don't, you don't check us up on it, that you're not convinced, that you don't look through scriptures. The Bereans more noble because they search the scriptures daily. It's not just because somebody stands up here and they, they say something that we just blindly accept everything that's said. We are supposed to also be diligently searching the scriptures. So that word here has, has some relationship uh, to obedi- obedience. It's the word to obey. But there's another word that, that goes along in this idea. It is the idea of persuade, but it's also used as obedience. Again, the words in context are going to have some different understandings. This is used 53 times. It's used the most of all these words in the New Testament. And it's the word patho. It has the idea of voluntary obedience. It is to look and to say, I will follow after this because I've been convinced. I've been convinced with confidence that the person who is speaking, they are trustworthy, that there is veracity or truthfulness to that individual, that I trust what they are saying and it's going to prompt me to yield, to obey. So when we sit here on Sunday mornings and we hear a pastor speak and we trust the veracity of the individual and there's a faithfulness that has been through the scriptures and we hear him expound it, then we patho, we are persuaded 
to go out and to change because the Holy Spirit has worked, we have heard the word of God, and we place ourselves in that position in a voluntary obedience. It's a persuasion to the one who is the highest authority. So we look and we say, okay, who is the highest authority? Okay, we know God. But there are other authorities that are above us, and we have a responsibility to voluntarily obey those individuals. This is used in Acts 5. We talked about this one two weeks ago where Judas is going to run the revolt against the taxation that's happening in Galilee. And he persuades these individuals to revolt against Rome. What a stupid, stupid idea. But he does that. That's the word that's used here. He convinced them that literally this was a good idea. Let's take on the superpower of the world with our little pitchforks and knives. You know, we, we can do this because we don't like, but he persuaded them. Romans 8, Paul says, I am persuaded I am convinced, you know, so there's this understanding that when I look at all the things that God is trustworthy, nothing shall separate me from the love of God. That's the word that's used here. But the word is also translated four different times in, in our Bibles, in English Bible, as obey. Romans chapter two, it talks about obeying the unrighteous, that we are persuaded that, hey, the unrighteous way is a good way to stay. That the unsaved, the unsaved are persuaded of that rather than being persuaded to obey the gospel. James chapter three, we know this one where it talks about the tongue and he uses the term for the bridle, what causes the, the, the horse to turn. He uses this, this word for, for persuade or obedience. The horse obeys because it is persuaded that that bridle, if he doesn't go the way the bridle goes, it's gonna hurt. And so he's, he's being persuaded to go that way. And then let's go over to Hebrews chapter 13 because this is one that we need to remember the context and then we need to understand and there's actually, we're gonna be here for two different words here for a second. Hebrews chapter 13 is talking about church leaders. It's not a context of government. It's talking about our church leadership. The whole passage here is talking about the church and the interactions in between. But when you go to verse 17, it says, obey them that have the rule over you, okay? And submit yourselves, for they watch over your soul. So it's talking about our church leadership. We are to obey them. That is the word that's used here, the patho, that we are persuaded by them, that we trust their veracity. We trust them as the authority in our life. And so therefore, we voluntarily submit ourselves and obey the church leadership when they have the best interest. Even if we don't feel they, we still, we have a responsibility to follow. We may not like what is decided, but we, we go that route. Then there's another word, and you can stay there in Hebrews 13, because we're, we're gonna come right back to it. This word, hupakaite, again, hupa, under, and it means to yield under, to resist no longer, but to give way. That's the word that's used here in Hebrews 13 for submit to the church leaders that we are to yield under them. So we hear, we voluntarily obey, and we place ourselves under. So you start seeing this, this ball of obedience and submission. The, the words really do, they interchange with each other a lot. But there are some, some unique nuances to them. And then you get this word, pitharco. Okay, now it is a compound word. It's gonna put one of the words that we just talked about, patho, that voluntary obedience, with another word that has to do with authority. So it literally means to obey the authority. This word's not used a lot in Scripture, but it, it comes up in 
in the big passages, especially dealing with God and government and Christians in government. This is, this is the word that, that comes up. The word used four times, Acts 5, talks about those who obey Christ, those who have submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ, received the Holy Spirit. Acts 27, an interesting one, Paul says, remember the, the ship, he's on the ship, he's sailing, and he says before, in verse 11, he says, we should not go. And they don't, they don't pay any attention. They give no credence to him as an authority. They don't place themselves under him, and they're not going to listen to him as the, the authority or the ruler in this. So they're not going to place themselves under They're not going to listen to him. And remember at the end, when the, when the whole storm happens, he uses this word. He says, you should have trusted me. You should have obeyed my, me as the authority because I'm speaking on behalf of God. And he, he uses that sort of jabbing at them saying, you, you were the authority, but I was right. Uh, but then... This is the word that we get. This is the word that's used in Acts 5, 29, where we champion the we ought to obey God rather than man. And there's legitimacy to that, where Peter and uh, John are thrown in prison. They're told you may not witness anymore. You cannot, the, the law says we are telling you as a civil government here, you cannot continue to do this. And they go out and they do it and they say we ought to obey God rather than man. The word they use is pitharco, that we see we are going to obey the authority because the authority has given you your authority. And I am not going to submit to your claims that go against the word of God. You're telling me to stop witnessing because the authority tells me to. So they are obeying the authority. So they say we ought to obey God rather than men. And if it just ended there, we'd be like, all right, there it is. It's all simple. It's all settled. It's all good. But Paul decides to use this word in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 1. I call it the sticky wicket because it's like, oh, you think First Peter is, is frustrating with submit to government? Let's go over to Titus chapter 3 for a second. Titus chapter 3, a couple of pages to your left. Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Paul, talking to Titus, is on the island of Crete, and he's telling him, I want you to remind believers, and, and the word that he uses to put in their mind is to remind them repetitively, continually, make this a habit to remind them that you are to do something. This is now in the context of, again, just like Peter, it's in the context of living godly. Chapter 2, you need to be living godly, and then Titus, or Paul comes out and says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready for every good work. So now what Paul does here is he says we need to be subject, hupotasso, that's the same word that's being used by Peter. We need to place ourselves under the, the, uh, the government, the rulers, the authorities. So he looks and says, I want you to do that and to obey the magistrates. Pytharco, obey the authority. So Paul now uses these words that have flexibility, okay? There it is, there it goes. I knew it was one of them was gonna come off. That has flexibility, he uses them right now to look and say, hey, look at this. We are to obey, we are to submit. Yes, there, there are times that it stretches a little bit. There are moments where we may not be and should not obey the government but Paul looks and says, Peter, or Titus, remind everybody on a consistent basis, as believers, we need to be submitting and obeying. Very, very consistent together. 
he talks about that we need to remember to understand the meaning of the word in the place of its context. So think about this. In that context, he says, I want you to obey the government. It's voluntary. It's not compulsory obedience. That's the word that Paul uses. He does not use hupakuo. He doesn't say whatever the government says you must do. He looks and says, you need to hear it. You need to be convinced that it is, there is veracity, there is truthfulness, that this is right. And then you need to go to that authority and submit and obey the authority when it falls within the parameters of right. He's saying that should be our general aspect because the ultimate authority in our life is not our government. The ultimate authority in our life is God. But remember that that authority placed our authorities in our life with authority. So we have a responsibility, as much as there are many times we may not like it, to hear, to discern, to look at it in light of the Bible, laws, requirements, mandates, anything else, to look at it and say, wait, how am I supposed to respond to this? Is it really violating the word of God? And if it's not, I have responsibility to be obedient, to submit. Is it really impacting my worship and stopping my worship? Is it stopping my witness? And we have to, we have to follow through on that. Paul tells Titus to remind the believers, submit and obey the governmental authorities in their life. So what is the point of all these words? What is the point when they're using them sort of interchangeably and yet giving moments where there's some differences? When we look through the New Testament and understand God expects of us, what does he expect of us regarding government? The general, he expects submission, he expects obedience. The default of our lives as believers, biblically speaking, is that there is to be submission and obedience to the laws, the institutions, the authorities of our land. I don't believe you can argue that biblically any other way. Even with the idea of we ought to obey God rather than man, we have to submit to government, we have to submit to God. There's, yes, there's some elasticity, and yet at the same time, they're teaching these general same concepts. In general, disobedience to government is disobedience to God. Because God is the one through the scriptures who's told us to submit, to obey, to place ourselves under. That should be our general default in our lives. It's difficult to see the differences. There are nuances. There are moments where we, we can disobey government. We'll talk about that in a second here. But submission, and I think it's important, is not an unquestioning obedience to whatever anyone, including government, may command. That's going to play out even in the next two when he talks about our submission to our bosses and our masters, our submission in the home of a, a wife to a husband. It's not an unquestioning do whatever because they said it, we must do it. It is an understanding, hearing, discerning, evaluating, and then going forward with, with it. Remember, these rulers are not absolute. God is the absolute. Submission does not, when we look at these words, Submission does not imply total obedience. Because if it did, then the apostles have some issues in their lives. 
because there were times they did not obey, and yet they were still submissive to the government. Sometimes Christians and good conscience, let's be honest, we cannot give to the government what the government demands. There are gonna be those moments and there have been those moments. We look, we look, we ought to be upset. We ought to be saying something. We ought, we, we, abortion's wrong. We ought to be taking care of that. We ought to be doing stuff about that. There are gonna be moments where we may find in the future where we are not going to change what is spoken here because we're told if you say that, that's hate speech. If the word of God condemns, then the word of God condemns and we have a responsibility to speak it. We cannot give in to that. We, at that point, we disobey. So does that, that's where the beauty of these words comes in. Because the authority has said, you, you, this is what you do. The, the second authority says, no, you can't. Well, now I have to pytharco. I have to evaluate who is the highest authority and which one do I obey. I obey the authority. And so when the authority says do this, but the authorities say do this, I have a responsibility to disobey the authorities. Now, that's going to put us in weird spots. If a believer in good conscience before God, and I think that's so important, in good conscience before God, cannot obey the lesser authority, the government, or a boss, because it conflicts biblically with our greatest authority, then we must submit to the civil government's consequences. Here's how the words play out and help us understand it. The government does not have the ability to say it, and we must 100% always follow it. The hupakuo is not used with government. When the government says something, and the authority states something, but it violates or goes against the word of God, it goes against my ability, our responsibility to worship, our responsibility to witness, our personal worship time. And there are these moments where we cannot because the government has stepped in. And I have to look and say, wait, I cannot in good conscience before God. Not, not I can't do this because I don't want to. Not I don't like what they're making me do, so I'm just going to say, oh, well, God says I can't. No, I need to be able to stand before God and be able to, in my mind, and be able to justify why biblically I don't believe this is right. And if I choose to say, okay, I'm going to stand up in the pulpit and I'm going to preach a message on LGBTQ and what God says against it, and it goes out on YouTube and it gets flagged, and all of a sudden, knock, 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 you know, here's a fine for $5,000 for hate speech. My responsibility is I submit to the consequences of government. I know that that's coming. I can't look and say, well, you can't do that either. That's not submission to government. I submit to the consequences. If I get hauled off to prison because I preach something that the government says, no, I have a response. Do I do it to the government? That's what Paul and John did. Or James and John, Paul did it too. Silas did it. They, 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 they broke civil law because they said civil law is not the highest authority. But then they were submitting to the authorities and they went to prison. They accepted the consequences. It may mean down the road that we lose our tax-exempt status because we make statements 
or we hold a position that is considered wrong. We don't fight that. We look and say, we're obeying God. And if that's the consequences you're going to give us, do your worst. But we're going to obey God because God is the highest authority. We obey that. This allows us then as believers the ability to always be in biblical submission to government because that is commanded. We are told, submit to the government. But it gives us the ability to obey the highest authority in life. That I can obey God and still disobey government when necessary. It should not be, again, our default is obedience and submission to government. And yet it still allows me to be in submission to government with the consequences. And so I, I look at life and we, we ought to be obedient. We ought to be submitting to government. But that, that idea of obeying the highest authority in our life, it should mean this. I think this is extremely important. Should you choose to civilly disobey, you must still do it in a way in which it would be approved by our highest authority. Would God approve of how you're choosing to civilly disobey on something? To use vulgarities or use phrases that now mean vulgarities because we think it's ha-ha funny. To, to post things that show our disdain for somebody in a, in a government position and think it's okay. Would God approve of that type of civil disobedience? I need to make sure that should I choose... Should you choose to look and say, I cannot in good conscience before God do this, that however you choose to then show that or exercise that, that it would still bring honor and glory to God because that is what we are here for. And yet we're allowed some of that. James and John did it. Paul did it. And yet still brought glory to God. Now, let me ask you this. When you think of an ordinance, what do you think of? A, a limit, a law. Okay, that's, that's typically what we think of, laws, right? Uh, words, are, words are weird. I had the, other, the other day, it was after a pastor was using the idea of speed limits and things were going on and I was driving and I was getting frustrated because I was in a 45 and the person in front of me was doing 42. And I'm like, you can at least do the speed limit. And I was frustrated because I'm like, you, you need to at least do the speed limit. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, wait. Technically, the word limit means that's the cap, right? But in my mind, and I, and I know I'm not the only one, <laughs> that's the beginning, okay? And we get the buffer, right? Okay, but then when we get pulled over for going five miles over, we're like, what? You can't do that. I broke, I broke the speed limit. Okay, words, words play like that sometimes. They, they, they get tricky. And it just, that, it made me laugh in that. And, but this word, look in the passage here back in 1 Peter. Let's go back to 1 Peter. Peter says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. So how is it that I am able to disobey some orders, and yet Peter says, submit to every Every ordinance, every law, right? That's how our English, that's how we, we get it, right? Here's, here's the interesting thing about this word. This word for ordinance, kitese, okay? It literally means creation or institution. 
It's used 16 times in the New Testament. Every single time, except for in 1 Peter, it's talking about go to all creation and tell them the gospel, or God has created you, or you are a new creation. The word, is, the word has this idea of something that was established, that was created, that was ordained, that was put in place. And our English here has this word ordinance. And, and I, I was really wrestling because I'm like, how did, how did the translators get to this word? Some of you in different translations, you probably have creation, creature, or institution. And the Greek language for this word never uses it in relationship for the concept of law. Even in extra-biblical Greek, it's not, a, it's not used in relationship to a law or an ordinance or a statute or a mandate. Shakespeare and Webster helped me out a lot on this one. Because Shakespeare, with the Old English, he actually talked about the ordinance as something that was ordained or decreed by fate or a deity. So the Old English was the idea of something that was going to be established by God or, you know, in Shakespeare's mind, not a, not a believer, you know, fate, deity, something that was ordained or decreed and it was going to be put in place or established, an institution. So the word ordinance here actually was a very old, 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 old English word that had in its idea the idea of an institution, something that was ordained or put in, put in place. So Peter, what he's doing here is actually playing with words a little bit. He's, he's here and he's going to say, all right, you are to submit to every institution that has been created. He's using a word for creation and a word that has the ability to talk about institution. And he's, he's telling the believers, you are to submit even to these words, or this, this entity, this institution, this human institution that has been established. He's reminding them that this institution, government, is created and granted authority by God. He's not looking and saying that you must obey every single law that comes down from the government. That is not the word, that is not how the word is used at all. Peter is looking and saying, our default is to submit to any institute, wherever you're at around the world, you submit to that government that has been created by God. The, the emperor may be claiming deity, but he's not because he was created by me. I'm the one who ordained this institution that you are submitting yourself under. So Peter is looking and saying, submit yourself to every human institution, and then he's going to help us. He's going he's to narrow it down a little bit. We, we don't submit to every single one. So we look here, so, sorry, we are to submit to some of the human institutions. No, what does it say? Every institution. It doesn't say we as believers submit to just Christians or we as believers just submit to the institution when we like the institution or we submit to the institution when we voted for the people in the institution. Peter doesn't leave us that wiggle room. He used a very specific word that says every one. You submit to every human institution. Now, the question is, well, which institution are we talking about? He's going he's to help us. And what is the purpose? What does Peter say is the purpose for living this way, for doing this? It's countercultural. It is opposite of what our culture wants to do, what we want to do. 
He says, you submit to every institution for the Lord's sake. We do this on account of the Lord. We don't submit to government because government says we must. You know, if you're, if you're in a, a communist country and you have to submit, you do it because it is right before the Lord, not because the government says I'm going to kill you if you don't. Well, that's a practical outworking. We're going, okay, it's a pretty good impetus to submit. But we do it because, the go- not because the government says this. We don't submit because we think the charis- leader's charismatic. We like them. So if they're in charge, then we'll, we'll follow the government. But if they're not in charge, I'm nope, not going to do it. We don't submit because we voted for an individual or didn't vote for an individual. That, that, that concept of voting for somebody wasn't even in Peter's mind. You're talking about an emperor, dictator, Nero, crazy dude on the throne, doing, doing all those things, and it's not even in his mind. He's just looking and saying, all of it. We, we submit. That is our default. We obey ultimately because of our own reverence and submission to Christ, and so that others may see this new type of life, these good works that are there. We do it for the Lord's sake, for the testimony of our God, for the glory of our God. We live counterculturally that they might see something radical, verse 11 and 12, and through that, opportunities to share the gospel and the hope that is within us through Jesus Christ. As Peter continues, he's going to narrow. Okay, so which institution? Is he talking the family? Is he talking the church? Is he talking government? Which one is he talking? Why are we talking this passage in government? Because Peter does that. He narrows the scope. He says, as any institution, whether it be king and supreme or as governor is unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Peter's not focusing on one particular emperor, though we know Nero's in charge. We know that one of the craziest men ever is on the throne, you know, as the emperor. He doesn't use it. He doesn't use specifically submit to Emperor Nero. He uses a very generic term for king, for the emperor there. So he's, he's asking, what he's telling us is we're to have a proper attitude. And I even think you could probably put in actions as well, because our attitudes then show our actions and how we interact with the government toward the supreme government authorities, whether, wherever it may be. Peter is not simply speaking of the highest authority, but even the ones that are appointed by the high authority. That's what the magistrate, the governor is. The governor is not the emperor. The governor is somebody who's been appointed. It's the pilot who the emperor says, go over there and take care of those rabble-rousing Jews. Get in there, give authority, put, the, put them down, squash the rebellions, and give me some peace and give me some order, maintain it in, in that Jerusalem area. He's the governor. So Peter is telling them, you need to submit to the local authority, the ones that you often interact with on a consistent basis. That would be the governor in this passage. Or as the supreme, we still are required as believers to be submitting and obeying as the general default of our lives. Again, what is the purpose? Peter goes on with another one. He says, for the sake of the Lord. And then he says, for so is the will of God. With well-doing, you will be able to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Submitting to the government appropriately puts us in God's will. Which then means the opposite. Not submitting to government 
puts me in not a spot I think I should be as a believer. I think this is a fundamental problem right now. As much as we don't like all that is going on, we as Christians in America are looking and saying we're attempting to discern God's will. We want God's will. We want our country to be revived. We want our nation to to come to Christ. We want to show them what, what it is to be a Christian. And yet, Peter looks at us and says, submitting to government puts you in God's will, but we don't want to do that. But we want you to be in God's will. We want you to have Jesus. Does anybody else see? there's, there's There's an irony there. There's a conflicting there that we are to be doing this command, to be following it as a general normal principle. We are to submit in our lives to the, we're not supposed to be anarchists. We're not supposed to be the rabble-rousing people who are just trying to stir the pot and be angry. I'm not saying we, we can't have opportunities to do things correctly. We can, you know, you want to go to pick an abortion clinic? Great, do it. But, but don't be the guy who decides you're going to blow it up. You do it in a way that's responsible to civil government. When they say you can't do it here, you have to, no, it's America. I can be wherever I want to be. You do it according to, so that it brings honor to God. Submitting to the government appropriately puts us in a good view of the people. And if you're like me at times, you're like, I don't care what the people think. They're driving me nuts. And yet, what does Peter tell us? What does he say? This is the will of God that with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, which means they're listening. They're watching. They're observing my attitudes, my actions, and how I interact. This shows that we are good, well-behaved citizens and not anarchists. Submission to government really is the strongest apologetic we have to the claims that Christians are up to no good. That has been an argument against Christianity for years from the, from the New Testament on, they're, they kill babies. They're incestuous. They, they, they're cannibalistic. They drink blood. They eat flesh. They're not good for society. They're causing division. They're not good for society because they won't do X, Y, and Z, and they don't, they don't want to submit to the government and follow. No, there are things we may not do and choose not to do, but we're going to do that in a respectful and God-honoring way. The best apologetic, the best defense that we have is to have the proper attitude and actions to follow within our rules of our civil government, yes, but also to follow the biblical principles and truths that God has established for us and how to live in this world. In the context here, well-doing, it, it's dealing with the context of our relationship and our submission to government. It also highlights a perspective of careful obedience being wise, being smart, not looking to contradict God, looking and saying, okay, I can't, you know, the government is putting pressure here. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be smart in how I live, what I do. Many of our missionaries do that. They live within these government rules, but they're being smart. They're being wise because they want to honor God and they want to honor the the government and the country that they're living in. That's That's their responsibility. That's our responsibility as well. We should do what is right to help strengthen the social fabric of our great nation. We should not be the ones 
championing anarchy. Anarchy goes against the purpose of the scriptures. God says government is there to give us law and order. To say we want to just overthrow the people so we can put our own people in. Well, then all that is is then the next group says, well, we want to overthrow those people because we want to put our people in. And it just is this death spiral that is no good. We need to be living right, living godly, living holy, according to the nation's laws, according to God's laws, so that we help to strengthen our neighbors and strengthen the fabric of our great nation. But the question comes, well, then isn't submission to human rulers a contradiction to my freedom in Christ? Because Peter says, live free as free men. So I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I would choose to do. Not at all. Our submission does not eliminate our freedom. Submission to government does not mean that I am not free anymore. Even in, even in all of the things that have happened over the last year and a half and how many times we've heard, well, we've given up this freedom and we've given up this freedom and we've given up this freedom and we hear all that, we are still free. And we are still far more free than most people in this great world. We look and we say, it's not even here. He's not talking about necessarily, well, Peter in the context here, what is a number of writers talked about that Peter is addressing an issue of these newfound freedoms that the believers have in Christ. And they're now claiming God is our ultimate authority and because God is our ultimate authority, I do not have to obey any other authorities. I'm just gonna do God and that's all, and I'm not even gonna obey Rome, I'm not gonna obey Caesarea, I'm not gonna obey Asia Minor, I'm not gonna obey America because all I do is obey God. And that's what they're, they're battling with. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Even in historical, like in their time period, wanting to revolt against Rome. Peter understood. Like if Peter looks and says to all the, all the believers, stand up, grab your swords, go revolt against Rome. Christians, let's do it right now. What was gonna happen? I mean, anybody else see I am Spartacus, I am Spartacus? You know, what happens when they revolt? Even, even with short victories, with that name, that are, and they're ruthless. Peter's, Peter wasn't looking and saying, revolution, resist. He was saying, submit, be wise, honor God, obey the laws of the land. Our freedom in Christ is not a political freedom. It is not a political freedom. It is a freedom from sin. It is a freedom from the impacts of it, the ability to, to go and, and say no to sin. It allows us, our freedom in Christ allows us to submit as free people, to say, I can do something that is countercultural. In my sin nature, I never wanted to submit to anybody. You had to forcibly submit me to. But now, because the Holy Spirit has enabled me to do something that is radically different, I can, as a free individual in Christ, submit myself to the government. He says, Don't use this freedom to shake a fist at everybody and say, I can do what I want because God's my authority, you're not my authority. He says, don't use it as that cloak of maliciousness, the covering for evil, to say I can go do whatever I want, I can live however, I can, I can tell the government where to go and everything else because you know what, you're not my God. You're right, they're not our God. You're not my authority, I have one authority. And yet our one authority is saying what? Submit to the authority. He's saying, place yourself under voluntarily in a free way. 
Don't use your freedom that you gain through Jesus Christ to say, I can do whatever I want to do. I can live however I want to be. I can be whatever, and, and just go against. We have to be careful and wise. I think even with the idea of religious exemptions, I'm not getting there. I'm not going into it. I'm not even diving in because I'll have 50 people coming after me. But don't we have to be wise to make sure, wait, if, if I'm going to claim through the years religious exemptions, I need to make sure that from scriptures it is. Not just because it's not something I want to do or something that I think, I make sure we're wise in how we do that. We need to allow us, our freedom in Christ allows us to submit as servants of God, to follow, to be what God wants us to be. Not to just go and sin and live however I want to be. There are limits. There are, there, there are lines in the sand. And I think Peter is really, really wise. I love how he, he wraps this up. He, he gets everybody riled up. He's gonna, there's, there's, they're going to be deciding, like, do we, do we rebel against Rome? Do we not? Do we just submit? Do we, how much do we submit? When do we not? When do we disobey? When do we not obey? When do we, the same questions you're all having right now. Like, okay, give me an answer. I'm not going to give you an answer. Because that's your responsibility personally to be digging through the scriptures and coming to a personal conviction and a personal position that says, here are the biblical principles of God and government. Now, how do I flesh out obeying God rather than man? When do I disobey civilly? If I, if I give you three things and then you all go out and do it, 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 that's not how this works. You have to be able to stand before God and say, I believe according to the word of God that this violates what God has called me to be doing, what God has said, what God has established. And then you make those decisions. Peter wraps up with four direct commands. Consider this. These are exiles who have, been, have just found their freedom in Christ. They're feeling like they can basically go do whatever. They're feeling how they can live, however, because they are Christians and they don't have to follow submit to the government. There would be believers in that group with differing opinions on that matter. They would draw their lines in the sand at different parts. And I would say the exact same thing here tonight. We could go right around the room and you're going to have, a, there's going to be a line in the sand. At some point, if persecution, if things continue to ramp up as we, we biblically know they will, there will be moments when we're going to have to draw a line. For some people, the line is here. For some of you, the line is here. For some of you, it's way down there. Some of you, it's like three miles back that way and you're already ready to go. We have a line. We have different lines. When it comes to the lines we draw as believers in relationship to the government and civil disobedience, our lines may be very different and at different locations. Peter tells us that in, our, in your interactions with God, government, church, and everyone else, Here's what we need to remember. So we as believers right now, even in our church, will have some differing opinions on this topic of civil disobedience, submission to government, obedience to government. What does he say? He gives us four simple commands. He says, you honor all men. You and I are to, as believers, are to have respect for everyone from commoner to king. There is to be dignity, respect. He says, honor all men, and then look how he ends it. Honor the king. He starts with the king at the earlier on. He ends with the king. He looks and says, from, from every person you see, you may not like their political views. 
You may not like the, the direction that they're heading. You don't like their, their practical and social views. But yet you and I, we are to treat them with dignity and respect. They are made in the image of God. They are individuals who need Jesus Christ. And we are to do something countercultural. Show dignity and respect to even the people that we look and we're like, I don't even know how you can get there politically or philosophically or how you can be okay with aborting and killing those kids. I'm gonna show you dignity. I'm gonna show you respect. I disagree completely and vehemently with your position but I'm still gonna be respectful to you as an individual. It does not mean that we need to submit to all those people. That's not what it's saying here. We honor them, we show them dignity, we show them respect. Believers then are also to love other believers. So that means that the person across the aisle from you who has a different line in the sand, who has a different position on, I won't even go through them all because we, I'll just, people get feisty. We are supposed to show love to one another, not to take each other out, not to put each other down. This is our solace. This is our respite place. This is our stronghold. This is the place we come together to worship our great God, to be together. Peter never uses the term church. He uses the term of family. He says, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to show each other love. Sometimes family is difficult to love because you and I look and say, we all have the same Bible. Why are you not at the same position that I'm at? What's the matter with you? And yet I have to show you dignity, respect. We do that to all humans. We show dignity and respect to each other and we show love to each other. We don't, we're not required here to show the love that we show to one another to a non-believer. We show them dignity and respect, but we go out of our way for each other. We help each other, we serve each other, we love each other, we edify, we place ourselves under each other to build each other up. And then he says, believers are to reverence and fear God. Why? Because God is the ultimate authority. And as supreme authority, he alone deserves our reverence and our allegiance. We must be committed to start there in the whole hierarchy of submission. God gets our allegiance. First and foremost, he is the one that we reverence. He is the one we fear. And in order to, for me to fear God and to be in his will, I must obey the command to submit to government. Yes, there are moments that scripture allows for civil disobedience, but my general tenor in my life, my default is to submit to the government because freedom is not doing what we would like. It is doing what we ought. We can try and wrestle away scripture, but we come from our biblical perspective. Peter looks and says, submit. It's countercultural. It's counter me. It's counter some of you. And yet God calls us to be good citizens in our nation and have the normal tendency to say, I will submit, I will obey, I will seek to, to improve the social fabric of our society, I will give respect and dignity to human beings, I will show love to the brotherhood, I will, I will respect my authorities that are in my life, those presidents, those governors who I don't agree politically at all with, I will still give them respect and dignity not just because they're in an office, but because they are human beings made in the image of God. And I will fear 
and I will reverence my great God. And I will live the way he desires me to be because I want to be in his will. Because he is the authority. He's the sovereign in our lives. And we go through and we say, okay, God, this is what you've said for government. Help me now to take that new lens of my American perspective and how do I wrestle through that? I'm going to let you do that on your own. I don't want to go through that firestorm. But you, you, do, you do have to look and say, how do we do this in our American context? Wrestle through it. Work through it. But take these biblical principles, these truths that we've talked about, and not just go at everything in life and say, well, I'm just going to do it because this is what I want to do. What does my great God, who I fear and reverence, what does he want me to do so that I can be a light to this world? Father, I pray that you would help us in these difficult passages, Lord, for for humans. That's why you put them there, because you know we're going to battle with them. Lord, help us to live the way that you would have us to live. Help us to submit. Help us to obey. And God, give us great wisdom to know when we should not be obeying. And God, when those times come, grant us the courage to stand for you, no matter what the consequences may be. Help us to have the boldness to live for you above all. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much. Have a great week.